What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And joining us today to cover our patron-recommended novel, Stormfront, by Jim Butcher, is special guest Megan Smythe. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited for this episode because I had a really easy and fun time reading this book while I was at work this week, no less. So let's get right down into it with our weekly recap from Drew. My dude, what happened here in book one of the Dresden Files? All right, and you'll be proud of me because I actually wrote down a synopsis for this one. Oh, you did? Usually I just wing it, but uh, <laughs> but I had some time. I was I was writing some notes, so let's jump into it. Harry Dresden is a wizard taking odd jobs out of his dingy office in Chicago, struggling to make rent and keep himself in business. One fateful day, he gets two calls, one from a prospective client and the other from his police liaison, Karen Murphy. Together, these set Harry off on a case that spans encounters with mafia bosses, demons, fairies, practitioners of black magic, and even a snarky, sarcastic, talking skull named Bob. (laughs) Bob's my favorite. (laughs) Harry slowly puts together the pieces as he tracks a string of murders, including two prostitutes and a mafia bodyguard. He is confronted by his minder, Morgan, who is tracking him on behalf of the White Council and who suspects Harry himself is responsible for the deaths. Harry chases leads with a vampire madame, Susan Rodriguez, a reporter from the pseudo-journalism hype mag Arcane, and the lord of Chicago's criminal underworld, before discovering that his new client Monica's husband is behind the whole thing. With a lock of Harry's hair stolen and reeling from a demon attack, Harry has to confront Victor Sells, Monica's husband, at his luxury lakefront house. With a little ingenuity and a whole lot of scrappiness, Harry survives, clears his name with the White Council, and finally nails down a date with Susan. <laughs> well, what'd you think? So, I'm succinct. sorry, I'm not in charge. You go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this is a, a, good, a good kickoff point. Um, it really is. I liked the book more than I was expecting to. Same. I'm absolutely there with you. I mean, I've heard about Jim Butcher. I've, I've been hearing about him for years now. Hasn't really been uh, on my plate, though. I haven't had, had sat down and actually made time to, to jump into the Dresden Files, but it was a lot of fun right from page one. Like, I was, I was all in on this book right from the get-go. Might have been a bit of my difficulty previously and recently with the black company over these past few weeks, <laughs> but to dive into something more modern and straightforward, it's been so much fun. I'm so on board with this cynical self-effacing first person narrative from Henry Blackstone, Copperfield, Dresden, wizard for hire, <laughs> you know, we uh, meeting with Monica investigation with Murphy meeting with Johnny Marconi. Like we're just, we got mystery, mystery, mystery right from page one. So I found the pacing to be very fresh and exciting. And I love the scene by scene adventure sort of nature of it. Yeah. I'd heard, I mean, obviously I've heard tons about Jim Butcher and and the Dresden files, but specifically with this book, I've heard over and over. It's not that good. The series gets way better. You know, maybe you shouldn't even start with Stormfront. Just skip to the third book. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad we started with Stormfront because I went into this expecting a bad book, and this is not a bad book. (laughs) Not at all. No. Agreed. It's one of my favorite things about this book is that it isn't an origin story. It really does start like Harry's been doing this for a while, and he's already got these contacts set up. He's already in the middle of this world. It's not him discovering his powers. 
It's him just going, mm-hmm. oh, okay, here's this mystery that I have to solve. Let's go do it. Which I just think is a lot more fun. Yeah. Than, Wait, what's happening? Why do I have these powers all of a sudden? I I thought that was refreshing. Yeah, we don't... Because I, I, I... I agree. Like, I... I compare the way this opens to the way something like the Stormlight Archive opens, where we have basically a video game tutorial mm-hmm. in the prologue of the Stormlight Archive to to get the reader to understand what's going on in this world. We don't need to do that. We can just get into the story and get into the characters here. Yeah, mm. and Harry, he, yeah. he introduces us to everything as he's going along, but I like that we'll have little little pieces like you have Bob as this literal talking head who can teach him how to make a potion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, oh, and by the way, like you have all these random ingredients. Here's a $50 bill we're going to rip up. But in order to make it a magic, potion, exactly. you have to throw in your magic, um, which is just kind of like mm-hmm. he, he has these little dribbles and drabbles, you know, we yeah, need to, and, so, and he's like, we're going to trap him because we're going to use my blood and that's magic. And yeah, I just think it's really cool. Yeah. Very imaginative that way. It is. Yeah, so so getting into the writing style of this book and a little bit of the, the history, um, Megan, I'm sure you know a lot of this since you guys have already covered, I think, all of Dresden yeah. so far we, on the Legendarium. We finished book 17 not very long ago, and this is the first time that I've gone back and read book one <laughs> since then, and uh, I've, I felt very nostalgic oh, wow. about a lot of it because, you know, things happen in 17 books. And so it's it's just fun to see Harry be all young I'm and dumb sure. again. <laughs> Which is uh-huh. just kind of crazy. Oh, I wish I had the, the yeah. context necessary to appreciate that. Oh, you so probably So this will. book... Someday, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? This book... Yeah, so so this book, um, yeah, as it is Jim Butcher's first novel... Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I kind of did research into it and the more I, I found out about it, you know, it, he, he has gone out of his way to explain this book a lot because he wants people to know this isn't necessarily like representative of what I can do as a writer that he wrote this book as, um, as I understand it, a a project for a writing class. Yeah. And, and he specifically wrote it using tropes of the your know, typical tropes of the uh hard-boiled detective noir genre mm-hmm. and he did it as sort of a a middle finger to his teacher because he wanted to prove to her that like she was boxing him in and and restricting his creativity and he'd be like look i'm gonna write the book the way you want it and it's gonna be bad yeah you know and uh really and i, yeah. and I don't know if that That's was awesome. altogether a success on his part because this isn't a bad book. It is not bad. Well, and that's what he <laughs> no, discovered. He's like, novel. oh, it turns out, well, because he was taking this class and the teacher had this whole formula set out that she was like, here's this book that I wrote. Here's this whole formula of what you can do. And he's like, okay, I'm going to use this formula and show you how dumb it is. And he used the whole formula and he ended up getting that book <laughs> yeah. published. But there are certain things that he put in there yeah. um, just to be annoying for his teacher, like Bob the Talking Head. She said to him at one point, you know, don't put in some random talking head character that's really only there for exposition. And he's like, ha ha, I'm literally going to do that. And it's only going to be a head. (laughs) Just the skull. Just watch me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which definitely uh, uh, a snarky, snarky approach to writing here. Yeah, I can see him being a little embarrassed about the whole thing and being like, oh, it actually turned out really well. 
But I should probably let people know that's it's I was making fun of her. You guys in are this both book. very right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very audacious story. I mean, the the manner in which Butcher is just nonchalantly uh, giving himself narrative room in terms of world building. We have terms mm-hmm. thrown at us right off the bat, mm-hmm. like laws of magic and the White Council. He's giving himself room mm-hmm. to expand this in the future, but he doesn't need to take up any significant amount of page time right now. And then we have references to Dresden's past, his master and his murderer in self-defense, apparently. Even a reference, if I remember correctly, to like his first girlfriend or his last uh, his last girlfriend and that relationship going awry for lack of a better term he's got a hell of a past but it's something that we get for another time and i might have had more of a problem with this style of world building if the story was a more slow simmering kind of development but at this pace i appreciated that we got all these details just in passing they were fleeting and they Mm -hmm. didn't take up too much time it leaves you wanting more it gives you enough it leaves enough of your appetite to go forward with the rest of the series. Yeah, and I think this is uh, a, a one of those tropes, one of those common things in this type of yeah. hard-boiled detective story. I admit that I myself am not super well-versed in, in you know, film noir or, or hard-boiled detective fiction, but I do have some experience with it, and I was struck right away in this book with how familiar the opening was. You know, he's... He's uh, hard on his luck, scrappy detective mm-hmm. in his crummy office with the peeling letters on the door and and this mysterious damsel in distress shows up to kickstart the mystery and kickstart right. the story. And, you know, I, I have been reading the Garrett P.I. Files by Glenn Cook this year. Uh-huh. And the first book of that opens almost exactly the same way where Garrett's in his, you know, his rundown office with Garrett... Private detective for hire stamped on the window and, and there's a knock on his door and he's hung over and he, he's like grumbling and and uh, and there's, you know, a woman in need who's who's ready to kick him off on his mystery. And and this is, you know, it's it's a fun opening and that's why it's such a staple for the genre. Hmm. Yeah, fully agree. And I oh. I would like to get to, get around to reading those too because if those are anything like this, it's going to be really entertaining. Especially with Glenn yeah. Cook, I do like Cook's uh, his dialogue and his wittiness. So that one's yeah, definitely going and... down to check out in the future. I have to admit something here, uh, a confession. I had an entirely undue amount of excitement when I saw the audiobook, which I chose to listen to while at work <laughs> this week. Um, it, it's narrated by none other than one of the greatest voice actors of all time, Mr. James Marsters. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Marsters, but I'd completely forgotten that I had seen his name attributed to the audiobooks on, on these ones here until I was downloading it, ready to go to work the next day, and I saw his name attached to that Audible book. And I was, I instantly I knew that no matter what this writing is like, I'm going to enjoy it because of Mr. James Marsters. I'm a huge fan of that guy, <laughs> and he made it awesome. Yeah, he his voice is really well suited to Harry and Harry's world. Um, mm. I like how accessible the writing is where it's, you were saying before, it's modern day. So we're not trying yeah. to learn like it's fancy French. names necessarily. The words are pretty simple words. It's just this guy thinking in his head through everything that's going on. It takes place in Chicago, which is also really funny because that was something that I guess his publisher said, you should set this in Chicago, but Jim really didn't know much about Chicago. So, uh, like, 
Fair. It gets better as he goes along, but he just kind of has a couple of places that he mentions because he's not really very familiar with it. Um, uh huh. But again, the fact that it's a place where a lot of people who would have read this would have been to or live in um, mm-hmm. just kind of puts that extra layer of this is kind of nice. This is kind of I could see this being a real world thing. Guy with the name in the phone book as wizard. Yeah, it's grounded in a yeah. very familiar world. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it was interesting for me reading this, you know, taking you know, urban fantasy taking place in Chicago, uh, because just last year I read another book, or maybe it's two years ago. Time has no meaning anymore in 2020. Um, uh, <laughs> but it, it was uh, Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger, and you know, like this, it's um, you know an urban fantasy dealing with the the sort of hidden. Um, the hidden world of demons and things and the people who have to like fight them and, and handle supernatural mysteries uh, in Chicago. And there was a much stronger sense of place in Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge than there was in this book. Uh, I, and I, I could kind of recognize like, no, this, this Paul Kruger guy, like he knows Chicago. He, he lives in Chicago and Jim Butcher does not, you know, he lives in Colorado. He lives you know, a half an hour from me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> really? and, and so, yeah. And, and yeah, there's a, a whole story there. Uh, his, uh, Jim Bircher's wife is actually, um, friends with my wife, What? but no kidding. Yeah. They're, they know each other through the, um, like convention circuit cosplay groups around here. Um, but, uh, that is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's... Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you can, you can definitely tell that, in this book, Butcher doesn't know his setting intimately, but I don't think that's too much of a problem because the setting isn't what makes this book fun. Right. What makes it fun is the mystery and the characters. Uh, this isn't a Brandon Sanderson novel where the setting is a big part of, exactly. of what makes the story special. That's true. Um, one of the things that I do enjoy in this book is that like every woman is a femme fatale, except for Oh Murphy. my god. I have Murphy. so much to talk about going on with this. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has the one character where it's like, Murphy, he's like, I'm going to make it a cop, but she's going to be really cute, but she's going to be the kind of cop that could tear your face off. Yeah. Like, it just, yeah. I, I love the juxtaposition, especially knowing that Harry is super tall, apparently, and she is, like, five foot tall, and everything that kind yeah. of happens there. <laughs> um, and... But, yeah, oh, the fact that every woman is offended, like every, like he'll describe every woman, and I'm like, oh, it's nice that every woman in Chicago is attractive, you know? Yes. Yeah, literally nice everyone. Wait till I get to my actual <laughs> character notes on Dresden. I have a bit to rant about on this case. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, in general, like his writing style, you know, beyond the meta, you know, genre-related things. Um, his his actual prose is fine. Um, he has occasional moments that really stood out to me. Uh, there was one description uh, of uh, right right near the beginning. Uh, I think it's in let's see chapter eight. Uh, the description of Harry's house. I think this is a wonderful description. Great voice here. The house is full of creaks and sighs and settling boards and time and lives have worn their impressions into the wood and the brick. I can hear all the sounds, all the character of the place, above and around me all through the night. It's an old place, but it sings in the darkness and is, in its own quirky little way, alive. 
Like, that's that's great stuff. It is. But then he'll go from that <laughs> to um, just two pages later, super awkward syntax, where uh, Harry's going down into his lab. And he says, I clambered down the ladder to the lab, carrying my candle with me, and lit a few lamps, a pair of burners, and a kerosene heater in the corner. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's... there. It's just, it's a run-on sentence, basically. Um, you know, he, he has commas and, and, and clauses in the proper ways, but it it's an awkward sentence to read, especially on the page, because it just goes on, and it and because it ends in a list after having multiple, uh, you know, clauses before that, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't feel right. And it's the kind of thing that I think a more experienced writer would put a period in the middle of it, start a new sentence... You know, I, I clambered down the ladder to the lab, carrying my candle with me. I lit a few lamps, a pair of burners, and a kerosene heater in the corner. You know, like, that just reads better. Um, yeah. And, and so, obviously, this is something, this is his first book. He wrote it when he was in school. You know, it, it, I'm not expecting him to come out the gates roaring away like, uh, you know, Gene Wolfe or Patrick Rothfuss or Kaya Shante Wilson or somebody, but, uh, but it is you know, something to note and that I will be keeping track of as I read through, because I'm sure I'm going to end up reading more of this series. Yeah, do it! um, To see his growth as a writer. I mean, this is something we brought up when we did our early Brandon Sanderson episodes, like Mm -hmm. Elantris and and Mistborn and Warbreaker, where Brandon was a raw writer in the early stages of his career, and he's gotten better. So. Definitely. And I wonder if, like, some part of it may have been lost at least on me i should say not lost but gained i didn't notice anything like this any awkward language because of my experience it was primarily audiobook and with the dulcet tones of mr james marsters <laughs> you know, he has his own he has he he delivers it in in such a way that you don't even notice a lot of the awkward phrasing i should think so perhaps if i if i read the actual text i would have picked up on a little more of these but as it was my experience was pretty much pristine i didn't even notice well, and I, I could make the argue, argument that um, since this is written in first person and Harry's not, like, the most educated people, you kind of get the sense he's not the most educated person. Maybe that's just yeah. the way he talks in his brain. Yeah, it could be. Where uh, it's all it, it run on sentences. A, I know when Harry I Dresden blog, thing. I have More to do a lot a of editing because that's my stream of consciousness <laughs> talking. Exactly. Consciousness talking is not terribly smooth or polished. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, there, it, it's just interesting to me how, um, like, that, that particular chapter really stood out to me where he, he had yeah. this one just gorgeously written description and then a page later, page and a half later, had this, like, awkward kind of, like, that was weird. Um, well, it took you but, out of the story, so it's noticeable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and, and thankfully there weren't too many of those. There were, you know, like I said, there were maybe a half dozen or so awkward syntax moments like that there was one point where he used the word anger twice in in like one paragraph he like he's describing his anger and then ends a sentence and then describes his anger more in the second sentence and uses anger again and i I'm may like, or may not be quoting that same paragraph later uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i may um, or may not have liked it a lot we'll see if that's the same one ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah like little things like that i and this is very much just me being a, a 
a, a critical reader and, and writer that I notice this kind of stuff. Fair um, it doesn't doesn't make it bad. It, it's just the kind of thing that I notice because of how I've been, for better or worse, trained to read at this point. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I'm ready to go into our character discussion points. Is there anything else style-oriented that you guys want to get out of the way before we do? Um, yes. Okay. So, so. Uh, I... I want to make a little comparison here, um, tying it back to this idea of tropes and how Butcher deliberately used tropes to yeah. write this book. Um, when when you read a lot of reviews or watch, uh, you know, booktubers or whatever, generally speaking nowadays, if you hear somebody saying, this book has a lot of tropes in it, they're saying it in a bad context, as if tropes are inherently a bad thing. And I don't think they are a bad thing. Uh, they can be they can be a problem. Um, but it, when the author is aware of the tropes and is conscious about how they're using them, they can be really effective. And here, you know, in this book, we see pretty effective use of tropes. And only when you have that kind of awareness as a writer are you then able to turn around and subvert tropes uh, in in cases like uh, A Song of Ice and Fire or, you know, The First Law or something like that, or The Black Company, uh, where, where an author is saying, like, I've read a whole bunch of stuff that's like this, and I've seen these established tropes in them. I want to write something that will start off like that and then flip those tropes on their heads. Right. And Butcher did the opposite here. I mean, he didn't, apparently he didn't want to write the tropes, but he was given no choice. And so he was like, I am going to write these tropes. And he did it smugly, and I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so because he had the awareness of them, there's a deliberateness to the story that works. Whereas if you took a writer who didn't have that foreknowledge about, you know, common structures and and hard-boiled detective noir tropes... um, who sat down and wrote this same book, it would feel a lot more ham-fisted and amateur mm-hmm. because the tropes wouldn't be wielded. They would just rear their own heads. And that's something that I've been um, personally really aware of uh, with my own writing because right now I am writing a science fiction novella that more or less includes a young woman going to pilot school. Oh, wow. And... Uh, and when I sat down to start writing this, I had to make some choices where I was like, do I want this to feel like Ender's Game? Do I want this to feel like Skyward? Or do I want to do something different? Do I want to go with the standard, like, flight school, you know, military academy tropes? Or do I want to do uh, a, a different direction? And what I ended up kind of choosing is uh, taking a little <clears throat> more of... Uh, grimdark tropes which which is funny because grimdark started initially as a trope subversion genre and has over the last 20 25 years developed its own set of tropes and and it was really funny for me reading this book reading stormfront while concurrently working on this novella and and having the idea of tropes spinning around my head and being like uh this is a book written uh, according to tropes from decades ago. And I'm writing a book that is 
in a lot of ways, responding to tropes that were responding to these tropes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a tropeception. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's been it's been really entertaining for me over the last week, uh, like grappling with my own writing and my own reading. Hmm. So, I, I think Stormfront <laughs> is a testament to the fact that as an author, as a writer, sometimes you do just have to embrace it mm-hmm. and jump. And on there's it. nothing wrong yeah. with embracing it. Yep. You know, there is absolutely um, a, a a sort of movement, a, a collective consciousness among some fans of uh, genre fiction right now that tropes are a bad thing, and and that's just not the case. I mean, tropes can be fun. Look, look at the popularity of the Mandalorian right now. The strongest parts of this season of the Mandalorian are carried by tropes and homages to classic genres. Sweet. Yeah. It's you can definitely tell when an author or world builder um, has an appreciation for the tropes that he's stealing from or borrowing from. Um, yeah. I personally find it a little bit comforting. Like again, so right now, maybe this is not the time to talk about this. I'm trying to get through Rhythm of War, and I am struggling. <laughs> I'm in part two because part one, I was just like, I feel like I don't know what's going on, and I don't like it. I, f- I thought I knew what was it. Fair. I, don't, I just. And so it's one of the things that I like about Stormfront, again, that it's like, okay, they're using familiar things. Oh, here's a vampire. Like, he puts his own twist Mm -hmm. on a vampire, but I know what a vampire is. And, oh, here's a fairy. I kind of know what fairies are. Oh, here's some kind of wizard knight. I, You know, so I kind of have it, like, it's comforting to me to have a little bit of that. But he takes, he takes, he has a spin on these things. Mm -hmm. But it's, he can borrow from a lot of these tropes that do work um, and just kind of put them all together and it, he, I feel like he creates his own thing here, um, but he definitely is sitting on the shoulders of other people who have also done something, and he's like, okay, but he has to make a conscious choice. Like, obviously, I'm borrowing these tropes. How do I make it my own, or do I want to? Do I want to just have this yeah. be, Yeah. these are the vampires everybody knows from Dracula <laughs> or whatever, or Twilight. Yeah, you don't need grow. your vampires to glitter in the sunlight. It's, Leave it organic. Yeah. Give it room to grow. Yeah. I think it's better in the long run. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, All right. Yeah, so that was the end of my uh, my style points. So I'm ready to jump into our characters character by character. Megan, anything right. else about style, or shall we just jump right into Harry Dresden? No, nah, let's, just, let's just jump into Dresden. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get into Harry's head. All right, all right. Now, he, Harry... I, I like Dresden. He's a he's a cool, witty, cynical character. He, he doesn't take himself very seriously. I think it's a very winning combination, particularly in first person, as we were just discussing, and particularly as well with like a really quick narrative pace. No part of the story was boring, and a, a large yeah. part of it was due to just this entertaining voice that we got. Aesthetically, I've got no problem with Harry Dresden, but now I'm going to make good on my earlier promise in this episode to rant about the portrayal of women in this book, especially seen through Dresden's eyes. Okay. I have yeah. to say, I had this written down as a style discussion where I was going to make a, a point about these variety of characters, particularly with the women, being a bit, like, unimaginative. But I decided to move this yeah. to my character discussion, and I realized this, this could not perhaps not be a Jim Butcher thing. It could very well just be a quirk of Harry Dresden himself. But every female in this book, from Murphy, who's described as a, as a fit you know, cute button nose. I want to say her legs were described as Olympian at one point. Yeah. Bianca, the vampire, to Susan, and then to Linda. 
it seems like every woman just he meets is some stunning, sultry, seductive person. Particularly those those last three. Murphy's got a little more spirit. She doesn't put up with with Harry's bull, and that's why I like her the most. But on the whole, I just found the female characters to be a bit bland, uniform, perhaps underappreciated. Like there's this one moment where Harry is driving. Uh, to Lake Providence and I have this quote here Lake Providence is an expensive high class community with big houses and sprawling estates Victor Sells must have been doing well in his former position at Silverco to afford a place out that way and I'm like what about Monica you know the one whom you've been meeting the one who's already paid you you find an absolutely bitchin pad out there and your first thought is well the husband must be doing particularly well I was like come on dude yeah He he has. Um, I'm gonna say he, uh, referring to both Butcher and and Harry Dresden here, because you know it's tough to separate the author from from the character. Yeah. Uh, th- there is a fascination with chivalry in this book, um, and with that comes some very old fashioned views of women and and uh, kind of attitudes toward women. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry gets a little, dare I say, neckbeardy at points, <laughs> where a, a little incel-y. Um, uh, wow, those are a couple of terms he, I wasn't expecting to hear today. He, he just has this this sort of attitude of like, women are like every woman I run into is gorgeous, and ninety percent of them are into me. But but something always comes up that it just doesn't work out for me, and I mm. I can't figure out why. You know, yeah, all oh, and uh, getting in the way again. Yeah, and so so there's there's a little bit of like willful ignorance that I read in that where it's like he he doesn't want to admit any fault of his own in in failed uh, relationships or liaisons or anything, and uh, and and I'm sure that appeals to a certain you know, age group. I mean, like, if I had read this book when I was 15, 16, you know, the awkward nerd struggling to find Fair a date enough. in junior high, like, high school, like, yeah, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I totally sympathize with this dude. But, uh, but Harry Dresden isn't a, an awkward 15 or 16-year-old. He's apparently a tall, good-looking guy who who has women, like, drooling over him somehow. <laughs> Turning heads everywhere he goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That and that is um, something that I have learned a lot of people struggle with, including me, um, with Harry and the male gaze and how he does kind of look upon every woman as an opportunity. Like not necessarily like he he will he yes. does say later he says later like I look I don't touch like he doesn't necessarily say anything inappropriate but since we're getting his point of view and we're in his head we get a lot mm-hmm. of that. Um, where we hear him that he's like, oh my gosh, and she, her bosom was heaving and it was so distracting. And, <laughs> yeah. And it turns people off, like, especially in the first couple of books, there's just a lot of, and it, it does, it turns a lot of readers off on the books. Um, I, and it took me a long time to come to terms with that where I'm like, you know what? It really is just a thing that where like, he notices, but he doesn't do anything about it. He's generally not inappropriate. He doesn't say things to women to make them uncomfortable. Um... It, I don't know. He's. I feel like he's a really well-meaning guy. I'm a woman, so I don't know how much men think about those kind of things. So it's really interesting <laughs> to hear you guys talk about this and how you thought it was distracting and obnoxious. Because, yeah, like it, yeah. it would be nice to give a little bit more personality to each of the women and for him to give a little bit more credence to that, where even with Murphy, where we're talking about how she's a li- she's more fully... She's more formed 
um, as a character in this book and in Harry's mind. Like, he knows her a little bit better. But even then, he doesn't give her certain information because he's trying to protect her. Right. Because, yeah. you know, she's a woman and she's not in the magical community. And the less she knows, the more safe she'll be. Except she still gets attacked by a scorpion because Harry doesn't give her information <laughs> yeah. that she needs. Like, right. Oh. He, he keeps trying to protect people, but in doing that, he ends up putting them in danger a lot of the time mm. in this yeah. book. And, and I'm, I'm sort of trying to reserve judgment on this aspect of it. Yeah. Because this is obviously only the first book in the series, and yeah. I, I hope, my hope is that as I read further into these books... It's not necessarily that this has to go away, but that it will be at least framed in a way that it's clear the author thinks this is not necessarily a good thing. Right. You know, that this is not necessarily a positive character trait. Yeah. So we'll see. But... Yeah, I mean, I would, I would feel like if he had enough feedback in one direction that I'd, I trust Jim Butcher already enough after just having read this much to, to adjust to fan feedback. And, and if, if there wasn't a lot of fans complaining about it, then it would just be a very personal thing and it's just me. Like, either way, I, it doesn't really take me too much out of the book. I still had I still enjoyed it back to front. It's just one minor flaw in one character for me. That's it. Yeah, that was probably my biggest criticism of the book was this aspect of of his um, his character that uh, I didn't I didn't think it ruined the book or anything. Yeah, uh, it's still I, a lot of fun. Heck yeah! Uh, I mean, I I rated this three stars out of five, and I was like, this is just this is a solid fun three star book. Yeah, it's nothing special, but it's not bad at all. Like, <laughs> it's a good Sweet. beginning. I'm a, I'm yeah. done with my points about Harry Dresden. Anymore? Uh, I have one more point, uh, mm. and that is um, the few times he thinks about his father okay. are where I think Harry's character shines through the best. Uh, it gives him a little more depth uh, outside of just I'm a wizard and I get the job done. You know, yeah. uh, it, it it gives him a chance to feel a little more human. So I really appreciated when when we got bits, you know, of him reflecting on his father and I was I was sort of looking for them because the book itself uh has a, a dedication partially to J Jim Butcher's father. You know, dedication is for Debbie Chester who taught me everything I really needed to know about writing. Um I'm not sure who Debbie Chester is, but I kind of wondered if she were his teacher she that is, he had is. to write. Yeah. Okay. Um, really? And yeah. yeah. And then he also said, <laughs> and for my father who taught me everything I really needed to know about living, I miss you dad. And, and so right there I was like, okay, Jim Butcher's father is dead and has been dead for a long time. He must've died when Jim was relatively young. Mm -hmm. If this book, which came out decades ago, uh, is dedicated to his memory. So I had a feeling that we were going to get something along those lines as a character trait with Harry, and I'm glad we did. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Nice. So. Uh, but yeah, that's my last Harry note. Same. Um, my, my one other thing that I wanted to mention with Harry is that he is being hunted throughout this book by the Warden Morgan who keeps indicating mm -hmm. 
you know, you did something wrong in your past and the white council is after you and I am here because none of us trust you and you're a terrible person. Um, you're a, you're an evil wizard and Harry just, and he, he spends this book, you know, just kind of trying to go along his business and hoping that Morgan just sort of goes away and it's nice that he's exonerated at the end. But he has a moment where he uh, is confronting Victor Sales and he talks about, I'm just going to read this quote. It says, magic came from life itself, from the interaction of nature and the elements, from the energy of all living beings, and especially of people. A man's magic demonstrates what sort of person he is, what is held most deeply inside of him. There's no truer gaze of a man's character than the way in which he employs his strength and his power. I was not a murderer. I was not like Victor Sales. I was Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden. I was a wizard. Wizards control their power. They don't let it control them, and wizards don't use magic to kill people. They use it to discover, to protect, to mend, to help, not to destroy. Like, Harry definitely has a moral compass where um, he truly, I mean, he's a private investigator where he wants to help people, and he really wants to do the right thing, and so I, I'm just always so glad when I get to the end of this book and he is exonerated because it's like, okay, I know I did something bad in the past, but that's that's a whole other circumstance. Like, we'll talk about that later, but it's, this is who I really am. I'm somebody who wants to protect. I'm not going to use magic to kill people. Even he, like, even to kill this black sorcerer who is trying to kill him. He, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's like why that for me, him. like, he's still, he's definitely complex. He's not a simple character, and that's why I can still enjoy him as a character as much as I did. He he's definitely engaging, and I, I he's definitely the 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 material that you need as an author to to go forward and to write a lot of other books because I can see him. There's still a lot in the past, but there's so much more room going forward as well to continue to develop and to continue to grow and we already are seeing glimpses of it here in book one and you can tell it when you see it even on a first read and so that's what i really appreciated about harry dresden it was really really cool nice um so i only had a couple of other character points to be honest um yep. Same. Uh, i i had one about morgan uh, i thought he was uh, an entertaining sort of um side character I liked the way he just randomly popped in and out and uh -huh. caused like caused trouble for Harry and there was always a humorous undertone to it so that while he could have been like really obnoxious he could've been a character who just you want to roll your eyes every time his name pops up on the page uh instead I was sort of looking forward to it every time he he uh showed up yeah 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 and, yeah every time Harry tweaked his nose it was just as much fun for the reader as it was for Harry. Agreed. I also enjoyed that Morgan always showed up at the worst possible time. Yes. Yeah. He is yes. so good it's at It's always like timing. an, oh my God, this is what I need right now. <laughs> it can't possibly get worse. Yes, it can. Enter right. stage right, Morgan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, my, I have one single point about Bob, and it's pretty predictable, I would imagine. I just, I love Bob. Bob is awesome. Yep. Yep. He's introduced in only a few sentences. Butcher doesn't tell us about this character so much as he shows us who yeah. this character is. And, of course, with the audiobook portrayal by James Marsters, Bob, he's this eccentric, ever-patient butler sound to him. He's, there's this one moment where <laughs> he goes, Harry, there's um, a seriously badass toad demon coming down the ladder. You know, it's just yeah. <laughs> it's these moments of laugh out loud amongst the chaos it's, or, or, or anything, really. I mean, this another yeah. throwaway line that I just really, really loved, he goes, Harry, what you know about women, I could juggle. 
He's he's just the the one-liners out of this ghost or this ghost, this talking head. Literally, I just love Bob. Every every single scene he was in, he absolutely stole. And I was a little disappointed mm-hmm. that he had the entire second half of the novel just completely doing his own thing. I wanted him to come in near the end somehow and save the day. Even though I get it, he's kind of restricted. But uh I just loved Bob and Mac again. Another simple side character. Boom, just. Loved both of those characters, Bob and Mac. Well, and again, you kind of have this weird twisting of the tropes where Bob is like, he's a butler, he's a personal computer, he's the roommate, kind of. Not really. But he earns his key, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and then you have Mac, who right. is like the quiet barkeeper who just kind of stands back there and makes amazing steak sandwiches and cleans the bar while he's throwing his key right. to and Harry. 90% like, of his eh, vernacular whatever. is, hmm, or, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just really chill. everything you say. <laughs> yeah. And then at the, the moment where Mac throws him his car keys, like, Mac, I need your car, throws him the keys silently. Everybody needs a Mac in their life, I think. You know? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> My last... Yeah, um... Oh, sorry. Do you have any more about Mac or Bob or any other characters? Because I just have one point about one character. This is about Victor. But I'll give you guys the chance to follow up on uh... any of that last before I do. I was going to say, um, uh, as far as Murphy goes... Oh, Murphy, uh, yeah. Okay. I, I guess we've already talked a little bit about her, um, just in comparison with the other female characters, mm-hmm. because there's like almost nothing to talk about with the other female characters. Right. Um, uh, but with Murphy, at least, you know, she, she gets some personality, and... Uh, she also gets to show a little bit of, uh, like dynamicism in her character where she is you know the the hard-bitten detective and and she plays against harry as a bit of a foil Mm -hmm. for a lot of the book but we also have a couple of scenes where where that facade cracks a little bit and we see a more tender side to her uh specifically when harry's got his concussion and and she takes care of him you know she 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 kind of doctors him and drives him home and gets him into bed and and makes makes sure he's okay right and and that shows she's a a deeper person than just a you know hard-nosed super serious scowling uh but cute cop yeah you know yeah Yeah. spotting that little that bit of money on the dresser and the note there too like these those those moments that you you can see who murphy is and she's more than just a badge and that's why going Uh, forward i kind of hope that she is a having only read book one that she is a primary female protagonist and more or maybe even like perhaps uh, romantic interest for harry dresden you know she's kind of what he needs right uh, oh go ahead i was just gonna say it's nice to have that uh like at least that one person in harry's life where you can tell that they have a friendship like they don't necessarily entirely trust each other and there's a lot of you know butting heads because their jobs don't like they need each other but they don't really match up necessarily um but they do have this friendship that they built together where murphy can just throw out like harry you're neither one of my husbands so get out of here (laughs) Um, you know they they can kind of tease each other and yell at each other but they know at the end of the day they both have the same goal which is to find out who the heck the murderer is and for harry like eventually it's because if he doesn't he's gonna die um (laughs) but even at the beginning when he first gets there he's like well yeah, I mean, I was here for a paycheck, but also nobody else can help you solve this. So yeah, I will do what I can when mm. I can. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, with Murphy, uh, it, and this is perhaps just because I am uh, I am currently watching Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes. Oh, nice! Uh, I I just started it uh, like Hyper. last week, and and I've been Nine enjoying Nine. the hell out of it. Had you uh, not seen but, it before? It doesn't matter. No. Oh. Yeah, I, I had not. You're in for a treat. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just a little bit into season two right now, but <laughs> uh, Murphy reminded me a lot of Rosa. Um, you know, Real. this this kind of like hard ass, uh, uh, you know, tough, tough face, sure, sure, sort yeah. of person who will very occasionally, you know, open that door a crack and and show a little more of a vulnerable side and and show that she does care. Um, she's not just like all, you know, yeah. all punk all the time sort of thing. But Murphy is well, also she's she's a woman surrounded by men in a man's job. Right. Yeah. Like, she's even described she's, that way. Yeah. Right. And but yeah. she's like this really cute little blonde woman working with a lot of men in a where it's like she has to work extra hard to be taken seriously. So I can understand her putting up that front and just being very like I'm not going to be the buddy buddy yeah. jokey person because if I do that nobody will take me seriously ever. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I identify with a little bit i'm not hard-nosed sure. or hard-bitten i am that jokey person and nobody takes me seriously and i'm okay with that um but i i love that about murphy where she knows what she wants and she knows who she is and she knows that she has to work that much harder um which is why it's just always fun to hear her working with like carmichael and all of these other jerk cops she has to work with where she's like oh yeah oh, carmichael's awful whatever you're all like this, so I'm just gonna yeah. be amazing, and you may or may not notice, but I know I'm great. And I, mean, Harry I just knows. love these these few glimpses we get of her trophies on the wall and these references to the fact yeah. that she is an Aikido master, or at least at least very accomplished in Japanese martial arts. You know, I just she can kick some ass. I really wanted to yeah. see her do some more ass kicking in this book, but maybe we get to see it in the future. I don't know. Oh, myself. I, I'm yeah. sure we will. I'm counting on it. <laughs> so. My last character point is about Victor. I want to discuss Victor just for a few minutes. I think this is my biggest complaint about this book. The main antagonist is pretty dumb himself, you know. So perfunctorily, predictably, mustache-twirlingly evil, he hit all of the notes. You can't stop me. You'll never stop me. You know, no, once you get the upper hand, you're supposed to yield to my demands to stop. Uh-oh. My own power with my ignorance has led to my summoned creations to turn on me. Curse you, Harry Dresden. I'll have my revenge. No part of this guy was relatable. I just felt like his setup, his MO, I want to provide for my family or whatnot. It's just like an obligatory, it's a careless note. It was tossed aside pretty quickly, I felt like. I would hope that future bad guys, for lack of a better term in this series, might have a bit more imagination or at least a little realistic less motivation. tropey. Perhaps. Less trophy, yeah. Not to, like, <laughs> just give, you, give them some more unique mannerisms and quirks. This guy was basically a, a walking, talking, cackling, maniacal laugh made flesh, yeah. you know? Yeah. My favorite part little... is when he starts monologuing. 
And he's just yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh no, stop, stop talking. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know what you're saying. It was just every time Victor was opening his mouth, I was going, mm, okay, wow. I haven't heard that one yeah. 45 times before. Okay. Which, which is why it's fun to have Harry kind of come at him with, oh, you, you have a lot of power, but you don't know any of the rules. So now I'm just going to throw some things at you. Like the White Council, he's like, that's not real. You're making that up. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Again, <laughs> impossible, untrue. That can't happen. That can't be. It's just. <laughs> Dude, okay. yep. at least, at least and try, that's his Victor. Downfall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the end of my character discussions. I've just got just a couple of little miscellaneous points in my favorite scenes to talk about going forward. Any other characters you guys want to discuss? Uh, no, I'm done with my character points. So we did have a couple of listener questions, although uh, you already answered the main one. <laughs> by bringing up Victor and complaining about him, we had a really couple couple of questions from Christian Hayden. Uh, one of which was, "Do you feel Victor Shadowman was a decent antagonist?" And I think oh. that's a, a resounding no from Rob. <laughs> that is a resounding, echoing no. You can hear it reverberating. <laughs> um, Megan, what did you think? Uh, I think it's he was better as like a shadowy. You know, we don't know who the villain is because as soon as we found out who it was and met him, it was like, eh, boring. It- Please be over quickly. I liked him more and, when he was mysterious. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely like it's, agree. It's a lot more fun kind of when we just have all of these clues that we're trying to put together. And once we find out that it's this guy, it's kind of like, well, who's this guy? And so we have to find out really quick. Oh, who's this guy? What's his motivation? Oh, he's stupid? Okay, you know, well. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it's like? It's like seeing this big, giant, hulking, four-legged hellhound of a shadow coming around a corner. And then finally, the dramatic music crescendos and he comes around as a little chihuahua. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's so unfortunate because we meet so many really cool characters where it's like, oh, it could be this really cool mob boss Marcone. It could be... I want yes. Bianca to be a bad guy. Right, like... it could be this fabulous <laughs> vampire who now resents Harry because she's seen him be ugly. Like, it could be so many of these cool characters. And instead it was like, you know, it was the guy you kind of thought it was going to be from the beginning, which was the missing husband. Yep. And it's like, it's just ah, a bad dude. Yeah. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Love the that's... book. Wasn't a fan of the prote or the antagonist in this one. Yeah. Just in this one. Mm-hmm. The book is yeah. yes. Yeah, it's nice um, that he just goes away. Yeah, so we had we had another question uh, asking if we're planning on doing the whole series, and the answer to that is maybe uh, not right now. Uh, obviously, we still have to finish off the Black Company. We have two books left in that, and then we have a couple of trilogies planned for this spring. So we'll we'll kind of probably revisit in, in a couple of months and, and decide what we want to do. Yeah, something, uh, if... something you might want to keep in mind with this one is it is unfinished at this point. There are probably yeah. seven or eight more books planned for the series. Wow. So, Whoa, I mean, seven or eight? Yeah. On top Whoa. of the 17 we have I thought heard. it was going to be 20. I, I think, uh, <laughs> and I could be wrong. I didn't look this up. But as I understand it, there were supposed to be like 20 books Holy and then cow. he was going to have like a final trilogy kind of thing but he's, <laughs> he's already thrown in like one other book and he's going to do another one that was unplanned initially wow because he ha- he's had oh he had gosh. the whole thing planned out he knows what he wants to do um it's just a matter of getting it all done yeah uh, so i was so i had yeah, already like, drawn a point i this... i i i'm i I don't know if my opinion matters, but I would say like maybe don't wait until all of them are done to start reading them because they are really fun. But right, um, just it may be something to consider that you know it's it. Oh, your fan may kill me. 
if I say, like, it might be okay to shelve this for a year or two, but you might just also <laughs> really enjoy reading it right now. So, yeah, that's, about. No, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, I'd already drawn a point to say sometime during this episode, I do want us to do the rest of the series some point in the future. Now, it's probably yes. not going to happen anytime soon because we have a lot on our plate as it is. But I yeah. do want to visit the rest of the series at some point. So it's looking good. It just won't be for a little, little while. That's all. My, my main thought on it is, like, we, we just spent basically all of the last year and a half reading two massive series, The Wheel of Time and The Cosmere. And I'm I'm ready to get a little diversity in our podcast and do like some standalones and trilogies right. and things. So, so give us a um, few months of exploring. Yeah, <laughs> before we we commit to something this size. But yeah. that said, to another twenty books. <laughs> that said, I really am excited. I almost went straight ahead and started because I read this. I this was so fast. I listened yeah. to this at work, which normally I wouldn't suggest. I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more. I wouldn't suggest reading a book for the first time on audiobook. I just did it myself because I have a lot of extra time at work while welding. I knocked this book out in like a day and a half, not even. I was it was like yeah. Tuesday by lunch I was done and I had <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to go. I almost went straight ahead into book 2. I came wow. very close because I did very much enjoy this book, and it's excellent as an audiobook, again, especially with James Marsters. So, I do want to see this future, or this on our uh, schedule in the future. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. So, cool. uh, do we want to head into our uh, three favorite scenes then? Sure. I would love to head into our three favorite scenes. Alright, so, uh, Megan, uh, if you're not familiar, what we normally do is we, we each... Um, kind of take turns like rob will will say his third favorite then you can do yours and i'll do mine and then we do our second in in rounds sort of thing okay yeah um so rob do you want to kick it off i will kick it off yeah i have my so my third favorite scene here was um dresden's entrance into marconi's uh, business it was a, it was a diner i want to say it was <clears throat> when he's tired he's hungry he's sore he's pissed off and he's going in to get his hair back and to confront marconi about the traitor uh, who's sitting in right the club beside yeah him. there's something about the organic nature of of the prose that we get like the the facade is gone the 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 wittiness the cynicism is all thrown aside we see dresden up front close and personal he's just fed up and he decides he has no more time for anyone else's bull it's so satisfying after so many people doubting him i love the scene where he got to walk straight in and finally stared his a lot of his problems in the eyes and challenge them i love that scene where he goes into marconi's diner it was awesome i think it was a diner yeah yeah that was a good scene yeah so that's my third favorite okay okay i'll i'll go it looks like you're thinking rob or you're looking through your notes Truth. I am. You're, so you're thinking. Go you're ahead. looking through your notes. Um, so I'll go. I really enjoy the whole sequence of Harry at the lake house the first time, when he's going and he's looking for clues and he's looking around and um, finds the little canister. Oh, that's another great scene. Anyway, so he finds the can, but he has the whole thing where he like summons Toot Toot. He promises him <laughs> pizza. We're learning a little bit more about how the magic works there, and Toot Toot goes off, and then you know Morgan shows up, and that's I think. That's the first time we meet Morgan, and we really it is, kind yeah. of have that. Like, yep. there's so much exposition going on in that scene. I just find it really, really interesting, especially having like the huge contrast between, you know, Tiny Toot Toot and his his way of viewing the world, and then you have like Morgan who shows up with this awesome sword and is so menacing. 
where you just kind of have the dichotomy there of these two yeah. very different characters that Harry has to deal with that both are part of the supernatural world. I just really enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, so my third favorite scene is actually like the end of that scene. Oh. Uh, it, it is specifically uh, Harry and Morgan exchanging punches. Uh, oh, yeah. Just yeah. Sucker punching each other. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and the matter of fact way that uh, it, it the scene ends, you know, we'll be watching you, Dresden. We'll find out what really happened. Yep. I didn't dare spout out a snappy comeback. I felt my jaw with my fingers and made sure it wasn't broken before I stood up and walked back to the beetle, my legs feeling loose and watery. <laughs> Just Harry. a Thursday for Harry Dresden. He is yeah. always, I swear he is always beat up, this poor man. Just. <laughs> uh, he's, he sure spent a lot of time in this book beat up. <laughs> he yep. apparently has a good face for punching. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Morgan would agree. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, so I'll go forward with my second favorite seed now, and uh, you know it's probably pretty predictable at this point with how much I was glowing about this character earlier. Meeting Bob, something about this scene where he's just he quips with Dresden left and right, and they're brewing potions together. It's just pure fun. Every word of it is pure fun. There's something so. Uh, whimsical about the entire thing that I loved and as I was listening to it I knew it was going to make its way to my favorite scene so I put it right here in number two meeting Bob love that guy nice that is also my second favorite scene was it I yeah we're on the same page I see (laughs) sorry is that boring should I pick another scene I can pick another scene no no this happens Uh, all the time um, just know yeah this is a staple of the right person on the podcast somebody who's (laughs) agreeing agreeing with me like I said, I just kind of enjoy this whole idea that, you know, you kind of see Harry at home and he's very wizardy. I like that he has this comment that he's like, oh, wizards wear robes because it's cold where they work. Like, that's, that's yeah. why. Yeah. They're just always doing, you know, fires and candles. So it's cold. But you go and you, like, meet his random roommate. And and um, that's kind of one of those things where you can see that Harry's a little bit younger and he doesn't know as much. So he has to rely on this character who can be his personal computer He's like, um, so what should I do? And then you have Bob who's like, okay, but let's make a love potion. Right, we can do this, but I want to make a love potion. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, okay, that's not going to come back to be a problem later. It's so going to be a problem Bob is so later. horny. <laughs> so I love how he's just a, he's a French devil on Harry's shoulder. I love it. Yeah. He, like, and, and that you find out at the end of the book that what he was up to for 24 hours was like organizing a college orgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And Harry's oh like, yeah, I just gosh. don't want to know. I don't. Yeah, Bob is. It's like Bob is that character. It's just like you let him go into the ether. And you you just you forget. You just wait for him to come back. Yeah. That's what I was doing yeah. the whole time. I was waiting for him to come back, and I did like that. We at least got a, a, one or two little descriptors, but we didn't get the full picture. Exactly how I thought it should have been done. Yeah. Great. Drew, well, second, my second favorite favorite scene uh, is in chapter eighteen. When Harry thinks about his father for the first time. And it's it's very much just pure exposition. And I don't care. Because it's touching. It's wonderful. Uh, he's got some, some powerful, like, punching sentences. He wasn't there when I was born. He wasn't there when she died. You know, and then he goes down. He was always generous. Kind. More kind and more generous than we could afford, really. And he was always a little bit sad. He would show me pictures of my mother and talk about her every night. It got to where I almost felt that I knew her myself. Like that, yeah. that got me. That got me right in the feels. <laughs> right in the feels. That was a very touching moment. 
So, nice. so Rob, what was your favorite? It's so my favorite scene. I'm just going to quote it. I'm just going to quote it, and you'll know what I'm talking about when I do. I was weary, battered, tired, hurt, and I had already pulled more magic out of the hat in one day than most wizards could in a week. I was pushing the edge already, both in mystic and physical terms. But it didn't matter to me. The pain in my leg didn't make me weaker, didn't discourage me, didn't distract me as I walked. It was like a fire in my thoughts, my concentration burning ever more brightly, more pure, refining my anger, my hate into something steel hard, steel sharp. I could feel it burning and reached for it eagerly, shoving the pain inside to fuel my incandescent anger. Victor Shadowman was going to pay for what he'd done to all those people, to me and to my friends. Damn it all, I was not going to go out before I caught up to that man and showed him what a real wizard could do. So I'm, I'm laughing over here. Here it is. Cause this what was did I indeed, say earlier? This was indeed the bit of writing I was criticizing earlier in the episode. Yep. Um, I, the sentiment is really good. But that, the paragraph that starts with the pain in my leg didn't make me weaker and ends with, uh, I could feel it burning and reached toward eagerly shoving the pain inside to fuel my incandescent anger. Pure purple prose. And he reuses the word anger in two sentences. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, I don't like it. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, this could very well just be the fact that I was reading it or listening to it. I'll say that, listening to it on audiobook. And so with James Marsters reading it, it sounds super badass. But if I was going through on the page in my own head, it may have sounded a bit more awkward, but I loved it as it was. I loved yeah. it. Uh, I, I will say my favorite part of that little bit is the paragraph after that when when he's talking about victor and he ends it you know i i was not going out before i'd caught up to that man and shown him what a real wizard could do i really liked that line that was that was powerful yes yeah so <laughs> it's my favorite scene <laughs> that's a good one now i feel so, like a creep it's my favorite ooh. scene i really enjoy the whole the i call it the battle with the totish demon yeah. Oh, it's good though. It's, it's so Harry good though. Because I love a good Chekhov's gun, um, mm -hmm. where you introduce an element at the beginning of the story that you have to use at some point. And I've already yep. mentioned the love potion, and I just, yep. I love that that turns out to be such an issue uh, when they're trying to <laughs> escape the demon. Where Harry's like, "Drink the potion next to Bob. It'll take you somewhere else." And it turns out she drinks the wrong potion. Um, and I, there's, there, so there is a moment, like, after they do drink the correct potion and they escape and the demon is still coming at them. And Harry just has this moment where he's like, I could totally escape if I just leave Susan here. But then she would die. <laughs> I could do it. And yeah. I, I could do I it. do that. And so he decides not to do that and they manage to get through it. But, like, there, there are moments where I'm reading it and I'm like, remember how he's naked through this whole thing? Like, there's so yeah. much happening. <laughs> right. And it's all so uncomfortable and awful. Where... Just and he's like, constantly fighting with soap in his eyes. Yeah, it's so it's like the whole thing is it's so cringy and it's insane how they actually get out of it where I'm just like Harry Dresden oh this could only happen to you. Where yeah, I just it's... enjoy it so much that it's this lovely awkward thing where he's try he he saves the day and he does save the girl which is his end goal it seems in this book for every woman that he meets. Um <laughs> that he 
Like he gets it through it, and he like he gets through it, even though it's probably one of the most embarrassing moments of his life. Right. Because like, oh, right. you know, sure. at the end, the police show up and they're like, "Oh, drunken couple. That's awkward. Yep. Oh, that's right. They <laughs> wanted to pick you up to take you to the police station, not for arresting you, but because we need your help. Go put yeah. on some clothes, please. Hey, actually, you're you're the dude we were supposed to pick oh, up no. to go bring to Murphy. No, th- that was some great situational humor. Yeah. Uh, Rob and I have talked at length about humor on this podcast um, across many different books, and uh, and and one of the things we agree on a lot is is that we tend to enjoy situational humor mm-hmm. the most, mm-hmm. and this is a prime example of it. Where like we don't have like super in your face clever puns or one liners in the scene, but the whole scene itself is funny. Yeah. Even as it's, like, harrowing, because he's about to die, you know. But uh, horribly to, like, demon acid spit. Uh, (laughs) I just just feel like the whole thing is so indicative of his character. Where, you know, he's he's gotten into this situation that seems so impossible. And he gets out of it, and it's amazing. But it's also (laughs) super embarrassing at the same time. Yeah, and even at this point in the series, you would feel like the authorities have a Harry Dresden button. Uh-huh. When somebody calls in there, they're just like, oh, another Dresden call. Okay, here we go. Click. You know. <laughs> oh, no. What's he done now? It's him again. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, my favorite scene, I alluded to this earlier. Uh, it is it is when Harry has the concussion and he's in Murphy's office. And, uh, and, and it's this two-paragraph section especially. I remember her helping me out to her car. I remember little pieces of the drive back to my apartment. I remember giving her the keys to the loaner and mumbling something about Mike and the tow truck driver. But mostly, I remember the way her hand felt on mine, cold with a little bit of nervousness to the soft fingers, small beneath my great gawking digits, and strong. She scolded and threatened me the entire way back to the apartment, I think. But I remember the way she made sure she held my hand, as though to assure herself that I was still there. Or to assure me that she was. That she wasn't going anywhere. I love that. I know. Heartwarming. It's, Wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's great stuff. Well, and it's nice to have a, a kind of a quiet moment in the middle of a book as full of action as this one is. You just mm. kind of need a moment to like sit and breathe and be like, this right. is real life. It's not always crazy, crazy, crazy. He has a minute. He has a yes. friend. Yes. 100%. Okay. So, uh, do we have any kind of final thoughts on the book, or shall we head into the final draft? Just one final thought here. I, again, going on with exposition and this casual way in which it's brought up, I, I'm interested going forward uh, in large part because of this one detail here, this one uh, quote here. I had been a miserable failure in relationships ever since my first love went sour. I mean, a lot of teenage guys fail in their first relationships. Not many of them murdered the girl involved. I shied away from that line of thought, lest it bring up too many old memories. Little throwaway details like this. Leaving enough, again, leaving enough appetite to go forward. I I really, really appreciated it. So how Butcher seeded these little points and these little details in there at the right pacing, just, I loved it. I, I was actually going to ask you about that specific line. Did it didn't bother you at all? What he did there? 
because you've had that problem. I know with, uh, you're about to bring character up character in another series. Uh, I know. Who does this. Yeah. No, but, uh, it, <laughs> who's, who's, it is whose not bothering me yet. I will add the and, caveat and... there because <laughs> this is not uh, an entire sta- uh, an entire staple of Harry Dresden's character around which where I'm going to be frustrated going forward. I don't think. I mean, this is just book one and it's very small. No, there's another character that I've been very vocal about hating this particular quirk in. <laughs> a certain a certain redheaded artist in the Stormlight Archive. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But again, I, it's, I it's not brought up in like a, a, a you know what? No, I'm just going to stop right there. That's a, it didn't okay. bother me this time because I we only got it once. This kind of right. line here, I think. And it's not, uh, you know, he doesn't base his entire character around it yet. So, no, it didn't bother me <laughs> at the moment. Okay. Although, okay. God, I hope it doesn't going forward. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's head into the final draft then. Cool. Okay. I'll kick us off with the final draft. I'm really excited to get this one out of the way here. So this is a really dumb beer, or, or at least the name. I should I should clarify the name is really dumb. I promise. Uh, the beer is quite good though, uh, more than good. It's actually a brew, the recipe from New Belgium, in Fort Collins, Colorado. Long time hey! might know a town by that name. I should think. Wink. I had originally planned today to bring my first Russian Imperial Stout to the show, but I, and I did end up buying that, but I haven't drank it yet because I spotted this little ditty on the way out. And it made me think of this format that I love with the, 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 the freshness of this kind of narrative and how I was immediately gripped from page one and the entire setting and the entire pitch of this story. Tampering with dangerous magics, meeting all sorts of dangerous peoples, Wizard for Hire. This is an IPA, again, from New Belgium Brewing. This is called Voodoo Ranger. Yep. <laughs> yes. Very And nice. honestly, it was pretty good. I mean, I, it's nothing in particular I would I would say that was that took me uh, by surprise or anything I'm disappointed with. It was a very refreshing, reasonably priced, pretty strong, 7% New Belgium IPA. It was pretty good. Nice. Is that your first ever New Belgium beer? It is. Nice. It is my yeah. very first ever New Belgium brew. And yeah. it says, so, again, you know, from Fort Collins, Colorado, although this one was brewed by Steam Whistle Brewing in Etobicoke, Ontario. Hmm. But it lists New Belgium right there. And it's on their website. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. It's They probably just, like, contract brewed it out uh, in, right, like, yeah. a Canadian brew. Instead of having to, to distribute. Save on shipping costs. Um, yeah, so for anybody who, who doesn't understand the significance of this, I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and New Belgium <laughs> is, like... A, I don't know, an eight minute drive. And in fact, I am drinking a beer out of a New Belgium glass right now. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was um, going to get, this is going to tickle Drew. I knew that. Yeah, I, I definitely got excited about that. Um, Megan, have you been drinking anything tasty or, or interesting? I, well, I think it's delicious. I'm not an alcohol drinker, but I uh, mm-hmm. do love myself a good Diet Coke. And you'll, if you can, if you decide to continue reading in the Dresden Files, you'll find out that Coke is Harry's, like, soft drink of choice so Spoiler, it's thematically I'm appropriate so, so there yes, it is exactly it is so i bought it from like a fancy place where they put in grenadine and lime and it's Ooh. delicious i know grenadine is like, apparently like pomegranate i didn't know that so primo I cherry coke i know it's like a fancy <laughs> nice. diet coke hey i've brought diet really pepsi onto the it. show before i've done that <laughs> yeah 
I like it. And it's so, thematically yeah. appropriate, so it's on brand for Inking Out Loud. I was I was trying. I, wa- I wanted to do something that Harry might kind of approve of. He'd be like, eh, nice. Diet Coke, but still. Nice. It's my favorite. Sweet. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, while I am drinking a beer out of a New Belgium glass, the beer I'm drinking is not from New Belgium. Uh, but it is from a brewery I've brought on before, uh, River North Brewing Company mm. in Denver, Colorado. And this is a barrel-aged imperial stout uh, from 2018. This is part of their decennial series. Uh, River North releases four, well, three or four beers every year. Uh, in even-numbered years, it's their decennial series, and in the odd years, it's their bicennial series. And these are beers that they design specifically for you to age, like up to a decade out. Oh. And uh, and this one is from 2018. I, I only aged it a couple of years, but it was oh, because... Just a couple of years. The name was too good to pass up. Oh, no. Uh, but this go. this is a uh, this is a beast, though. This this beer is very tasty, but it is strong. It is 15.3%. Oh, oh my volume. God! Whoa! <laughs> Yeah, it, it comes in a small bottle, <laughs> because a big bottle would be a bad idea. <laughs> How is that even beer anymore? Oh, it's it's really good, though. I mean, like, strong chocolate malt, like, roastiness, just, there's, there's some some good whiskey uh, notes from the barrel. Um, very, very tasty. But more importantly, this beer is called Shadow Man. No! Oh, come on! Are you really? kidding me? I even said his name earlier, Victor Shadowman, in my <laughs> yep. in my quote. Nice. Yeah. Nice. When we when we got to that scene where uh, he appears as the Shadow Man, mm-hmm. and Harry calls him the Shadow Man, I was like, "Well, I know what I'm opening." <laughs> yes. Nice. That's fantastic. Very yeah. nice. <laughs> so I, I was I was very happy with with that little uh, turn of events in the story. I think that uh, I think that brings us to the end of our coverage of Stormfront. Uh, this has been. Let me check the spreadsheet to make sure I don't get the number wrong again. Yeah, uh, uh, as Rob said, it's episode one hundred and two of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Let's give a shout out to Chris Martin, who recommended this book for us today. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he. I think he just supported us on Patreon a couple of months ago. Requested this. Uh, he also sent me a couple of beers that we featured on our uh, Stormlight Archive episode. Yeah, that's how I so. recognized the name, too. I was like, oh, I've heard Chris's name before. Yeah. We've had beers from him, or at least Drew's had a beer from him. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he's the one who sent me the uh, the Reshi Isles and the King's Wit. So those were, those were <laughs> a lot of fun. So thanks for the recommendation, Chris. It was an awesome book. It really was. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we enjoyed it, and as Rob said, we will eventually find our way back uh, to Chicago to rejoin Harry for some further adventures. Yay! But next up, uh, we do have to get back to the Black Company. We will be covering the first half of Water Sleeps. Uh, we'll be doing the first 52 chapters of that book. So uh, that'll, that'll be next week. And if you want to get early access to that episode or support the show and get you know a look at our other bonus content check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash inking out loud uh as as we have demonstrated today if you support us at the radiant tier you can request a book for us to cover on the podcast and we will do so with great candor uh (laughs) (laughs) 
But as always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. And our special guest, Megan Smythe. Thanks for joining us, Megan. Thank you. This has been fun. No, thank yeah. you for the conversation, Megan. It's been awesome. Well, you and... picked an amazing book, so well done. <laughs> well, Chris picked an amazing book. So we have well amazing drinks, amazing books, amazing guests. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yeah, and if you want to hear more of Megan, check out The Legendarium, where Megan is on the blue team, and does some, you do some crossover episodes with Red Team as well, right? Yeah, every once in a while. I did the Lord of the Rings once. Those are the last ones Yeah, yeah. Sweet. So, uh, yeah, check out The Legendarium as well. They're a, a wonderful podcast. They've been doing this thing for a lot longer than we have. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, as always, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.